Hey, my Alchemy Chic family. Just wanted to let you guys know that we are now available on several different platforms. Yay! So you can now find Alchemy Chic on Anchor, the Anchor app, of course, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Breaker, CastBox, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, and Spotify. I'm so excited that our family is expanding. Make sure you go to each platform and subscribe now. Thanks. Love ya. Hey, Alchemy Chic family, this is just a warning that this episode may contain some very colorful, very, very colorful language. So if you have little ones around, please grab your headphones or if colorful language offends you, please skip this particular episode. Thanks. Hey, my Alchemy Chic family, I am back again. It is yours truly, Rachel, and I am here again with one of my beautiful Alchemy Chic influencers of the day. This young woman, um, how should I say, she is definitely my soul twin. (laughs) We normally can know or predict each other's moves, what we're going to talk about or Definitely when it comes to the relationship aspect, we are normally, as as we like to say, getting on our own nerves because we do some of the same things. Uh, but at the same time, in terms of being a very down-to-earth, very honest, very sweet, very supportive person, friend, client, for me, um, I just wanted to have her on the Alchemy Chic platform because, A, to me, she's just a dope person. But in terms of being helpful and honest with a situation that I feel like most of us as women don't openly talk about, I felt like she would be the perfect person, A, because it's part of what she does. And then B, on top of that, getting a very open and honest perspective that will be beneficial for women to hear from another woman who literally uh, drug through the trenches and goes paper by paper, line by line, drudging through financial uh, situations. I just wanted to have her on because I know that she would be the best fit for our audience as well as because I just love her so much. Um, she is she is an auditor. Um, I'm going to let her tell you exactly what it is, certified fraud analyst, specialist. I know that I jacked that up. Fanetta, please do not kill me. Uh, but... She is definitely someone that I feel like needs to have that conversation because she and I have talked about it so much. And with finances being such a fearful conversation for women, especially women of color, um, I just feel like she would be the best person to talk about it because she sees the good, the bad, the ugly. And again, I just love her to pieces. So Alchemy Chic family, can you please welcome my beautiful, beautiful Miss Bonetta to the call? Oh, thank you. Thank you. Hello, Alchemy Chic family. Hi, my darling. Welcome, welcome. Um, So I know that, of course, I probably talked all kinds of gibberish that probably didn't make sense. (laughs) So would you please clarify? for the beautiful ladies out there exactly what your title is and what you do I am well the lamest term is I am an auditor Um, I work pretty much in corporate finance and um, I work in the banking industry so um, corporations that get loans from banks or any other financial institution um, a lot of times they monitor 
the progress of those loans and what's being done with the money, if we are liable to get paid back kind of thing. So I just kind of go out and look at records, talk to people um, just to ensure that, you know, things are what's being reported on a more daily basis um, to in-house personnel for whatever lending institution is loaning funds to that company. So that just made this whole conversation that much more interesting. Like, legit, first of all, Alchemy Chic family, this is the woman that you need to have on your team. I am so thankful to God that you are a part of my life because I know at some point in time, I'm going to have lots of questions. Oh um, it goes both ways. And I'll definitely... <laughs> And I'll definitely at some point in time want to be along this conversation um, because I am not afraid or ashamed to talk about the fact that um, as a at the time, maybe 34 year old woman, um, I'm a little bit more mature now, but as a 34 year old woman not knowing much about finances and the financial world and being introduced to that, it, it almost, as I like to say, made me a financial asshole, um, but in a good way. <laughs> um, but a lot of people and a lot of women, and especially with me being behind the chair at the salon, talking to different women, a lot of women don't really like to talk about that. But before we get to that, where did that passion for or the interest or the intriguing thought when it comes to organizing, sorting through and analyzing numbers? Were you always a numbers woman or was that kind of you stumbled on? It was like, oh, this is interesting. Um, you know what? Like things most typically me, I didn't know that I was a numbers person until much later in life. I just always kind of thought of it as something that I was kind of good at versus something that I found enjoyment in. Um, but mm -hmm. one of the things that on the other side of it, I realized that was always like fundamental in my personality is that I'm overly analytical. Um, I'm nosy naturally. And all of those things <laughs> are like things that make a, a, a person a good auditor. You know, like I literally get paid to do things that is just who I am on a regular day. Um, and so I was always really good at math. Um, in school, but I, it was just kind of like, oh, I'm good at math. You know, it was just like, I need math to do science. Mm -hmm. I really love science. And um, I kind of fell into accounting once I decided I didn't want to um, do my original career choice of engineering once I got to college. And I was like, oh, I actually don't like engineering at all. So what's next? So it fell into accounting. And one of the things about accounting is it takes you so many different ways you can literally work anywhere in any industry and that's what i liked about the flexibility of one career that literally had a whole bunch of paths and auditing was my first stab at it and it worked out like it was just something you know i've tried a couple other things in terms of accounting um but like i said me just being overly analytical looking for what what this looks like versus what it's supposed to look like that just kind of and i get to do it with numbers so um, that's kind of how it works in terms of, you know, looking through the paperwork, looking through everything. It's just me being nosy most of the time. I tell people all that time and people have to let me, you know, I, it's not something that, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's, you know, they can't really, they can tell me no, but it's never going to really work out in their favor. So um, that's kind of how it works. So it, I don't, I don't, when people say, oh, you're a numbers person, I always have to like, 
ran my head back a little bit like, wait, am I? I'm like, oh, I guess I am. I'm, but I look at it more like on the analytical side and the digging side and investigative side. I'm just doing it, letting you know it be painted with numbers. But I realize that's not something that just anybody can do or wants to do for that matter. Oh, yes. I, w- I would definitely agree with that part. Um, <laughs> so um, in terms of like with young women, little girls getting into like the STEM programs and kind of following or there are more women of color following into that path of, of, of or that career path. A, how does that make you feel seeing that that kind of gear up, gear up and seeing more women represented in that industry? And then how are women underrepresented in your industry? Well, I would honestly say that I don't think that women are necessarily underrepresented in my industry um, in the sense of there are a lot of women in the financial sector where it gets kind of sketch is in the leadership component. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, The glass ceiling is a very real thing um, in the financial industry where you, uh, you know, I I liken it to this visual of a room full of women in a glass ceiling and there are men on the roof looking down in it because, you know, and it, it is about you know, how do you get to the top? It's no stairs, it's no nothing. That's kind of where it goes because very rarely are you finding men in, in my experience who are bringing other women up in the, bringing women up in the ranks or um, trying to figure out what can we do to make less, less men be in this room and more women be in this room because women are naturally, you know, a lot of times detail oriented in a way that make them excel at numbers that even if they don't haven't tapped into it themselves, they don't know, but that's kind of one of the things um, about that I've heard in conversations that usually you'll find where there are a lot of more women um, involved with numbers when it turns to putting things together and compiling because you have to be detail oriented. There have been many times where I'll go to a company and they'll have, a, a, you know, it'll be one man in charge of a room full of women. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. he's the, he, and they're just reporting all this information up to him. So you'll find a lot of women, you know, on the, the main line, so to speak, when it comes to finances and the things that support financial support of an organization, um, a lot, you know, bookkeeping, payroll, all the things that make um, up the, the components of, fi- of, of the finances running something, women are everywhere. It's just the, the higher up aggregate level that, you know, we tend to be kind of scarce. So how, how in terms of like for, for you navigating in the industry and possibly wanting more upward mobility, how does that affect you being underrepresented on the leadership scale? Um, you know, that's honestly kind of like a still a work in progress for me, not necessarily figuring it out in the traditional sense, but a wondering if that's something I want, so to speak. But some of the things that I've, I've had to conquer over the course of my career is that um, I'm, I'm, more, I'm, I'm an introvert, even though people don't believe that I'm, I'm an introvert. <laughs> right. And so a lot of times. I like to just be and observe a situation before I comment on it. Because one thing I hate doing is 
speaking about something I don't know about, or even having the aura that I'm speaking, I'm speaking about something I don't know about. Um, I tell people all the time, my, one of my Capricorn traits is I have to process things, right? So mm-hmm. um, I can't just sit down in the room, even if I'm my initial thought and I'm 100% confident, I still kind of always want more information. Well, a lot of times I found that by the time I did all that, meeting was over, you know, or right. the, you, you missed your moment to say what you need to say. And people have kind of maybe made this assumption about you that maybe you don't know anything or you don't have an opinion because I always seem to find myself coming back after the fact to like certain people and saying oh well blah 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 so Mm -hmm. it was about being confident about speaking up in a room because um you know there are studies that show when women are in a a room full of men right down to where they sit at a table affects the outcome of their success in that meeting you know what I'm saying so um, you, it, it goes back because a lot of times I would go into a tape. I, I actually just did it the other day, it, and it was just me, and my manager, and one other person. He was kind of sitting, you know, at the head of the table, like at the top. It was a long table, and I sat five, like five seats down from him. And he said, "Why are you way down there?" And I honestly did not know why, but it was, <laughs> I, I, I really don't. And it was just one of those things where it's like, because I, I still have that, I need to be able to see the whole room. Why I need to see the whole room? One other person, two other people in it, I don't know, but that's kind of <laughs> how it was. So I still kind of struggle with that. And one of the things that I definitely had challenges with was, you know, I tell people it was kind of like I had to pick a struggle when I first started because a lot, I didn't know somebody was being disrespectful or dismissive because I was young, because I was black or because I was a woman. You know, I had this, now I hate to call it three strikes, but for lack of a better term, this three strike thing hanging over my head. I don't know what your beef with me is right now. And a lot Mm -hmm. of times with other women, it was kind of easy to deduce sometimes that it was because I was young or I have a young face. You know, people assume you don't know what you're talking about or or, I've been doing this for 50 years. Um, Let me tell you how it works. No, I know how it works. (laughs) No, let me tell you how it works. You know what I'm saying? So um a, a lot of times so honestly i'm now that look now that i don't look young anymore um <laughs> it's just a still little look easy, young it's still easy it's a little <laughs> bit easier to narrow it down <laughs> so uh you know is it because i'm a woman or because i'm black or you know whatever but a lot of times that was what my issue was i didn't i couldn't even figure out what the reason was that i, I wasn't being heard or um, my opinion wasn't valued or um, why I, people weren't engaging with me. Um, but now it's just, a, I, I, the, I think the most important thing I learned, and this is going to sound horrible because I'm a Southerner, is to be, being okay with interrupting people. And yeah. I, that, that was hard. Like, I don't, like I said, I don't know if it's a Southerner in me because it pains me it's so rude, but you realize that people will start and they will not stop talking. Right. Mm-hmm. And in a, in a, and especially in a finance situation, if they're trying to convince you of something or whatever the situation is, they won't let you get a word in edgewise. So I, I literally have a mental ticker in my head sometimes where I will only let someone speak for three minutes or people will get long winded about explaining something. I have. OK. Hey, I understand. I don't need you to keep talking about it. Can we move on to the next thing? <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Like it, yeah. it was. It would, but again, the Southern name is like, that is so rude to let people get out. But, you know, that was a part, it's a part of also demanding respect in a room full of people who feel like what they have to say is more important than what you have to say. So um, you have to learn to be okay with interrupting people. And that was really hard for me, but I'm, I'm, look, I'm very good at it now. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of, a lot of women tend to apologize 
for their success. And it's kind of, I guess, along the lines of what you're saying in terms of being okay with being assertive in what you do and being okay with having a seat at the table for lack of a, a better term, really, um, where you should be to be more involved, more and more everyday women seem to be very intimidated by the financial world. Um, I think people in general are intimidated by, by finances. Um, because numbers are very like black and white. So people kind of take an all or nothing approach. Like either I get it or I don't. When a lot of times you could not, you could just not get one piece of it. Right. And (laughs) if Mm -hmm. if you figure out that piece, you'd be surprised how much of it comes together or because it's so multifaceted and, and they might not have a true understanding of, you know, one particular thing in terms of like, oh, I don't know anything about investments. Oh, I don't know anything about stock market. Oh, I don't know anything about budgeting. Oh, I don't, you know, kind of, oh, I don't know anything about benefits. Like, you know, those are all the things that people talk to me about sometimes because they hear, like you said, they hear accountant and they hear auditor and they feel like all these things under the sun fall under this number. And they are like, well, you have to know about it because you are in the financial world. Does that make sense? Like, that's kind of how it works. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so they, they might think of that one aspect and they shut down. And I have two, a running joke with two of my friends. Whenever they have stuff come up and one of them says, you know, I have a social science brain, right? Like, I'm, don't, <laughs> don't talk to me. I, I, I'm social scientist. That's, that's me. And the other one, like, oh, you know, I'm artistic, right? So, I mean, I can't. I can't do what you do. I can't understand what you're talking about. You need to dumb it down, blah, blah, blah. And I think a lot of times when you have people, i.e., who has a art or have a social sciences brain or artistic, it's more of a easier to find where that overlap and that mesh is where you might have transferable skills between the two. But when it comes mm-hmm, to finance, mm-hmm. again, because it's such a black and white thing, people think nothing that they already know can give them an advantage to to join into that, you know, to be a part yeah. of that. Um so uh, I think, you know, it, if people kind of take it piece by piece um, in terms of how it affects their everyday life, um, they'd be surprised at how it's things that they already do that they have more knowledge than they think they do. You know, because, again, mm-hmm. even with something as simple as um, picking benefits, open enrollment. Oh, my gosh. When I tell you, sometimes I dread, <laughs> dread October through December, the way my phone <laughs> rings off the hook. <laughs> and to me, and maybe because of what I do, that doesn't even fall under finances to me at all, right? But mm-hmm. it, but it, for most people, they think, oh, it's the because the, it's money out of their check at the end of the day, right? So that right. it's finances to them. You know, how do right. I make the best decision with that out of what my companies offer so that a I have money for an emergency medical situation or whatever may come up, but also I'm keeping money in my check <laughs> and, I'm right. my tax, and I'm lowering my tax liability. Like they look, think about all three of those things. So people get super overwhelmed doing benefit enrollment. And again, in my head, I'm like, yeah, that's not really money, but you know, it is money to, like you just said, people who are so intimidated by the very thought of any conversation about finances. So what what can someone do to start to learn 
I mean, I know for, for me, you know me, I'm ignorance on fire all day long. So <laughs> I just kind of jump out there and just do stuff and start to research things on my own. And, and from personal experience, I could definitely say it's not as intimidating as I once thought it was. And it's actually a little bit more enjoyable to me. Um, especially the whole stock market world that I'm now open to and have learned more about that is actually pretty fun to me. Uh, but from looking at it from your angle, what can someone do to start to learn how to navigate through their own personal finances and then also just learning about different options that they have when it comes to the financial world, whether it be dealing with investments or um, learning how to leverage their income or anything like that. What can they do to start to learn how to do that? Well, I'm going to be very cliche, but this answer is very kind of keep it simple, stupid, because honestly, the very, to me, the most important thing somebody can do is look at what they already do. And I know you're like, wait, what? But literally it is taking steps to know, to assess what is your relationship with money. And because you can't make any decision about what to do with your money or even who you want some who you want to be able to do something with your money mm-hmm. until you know your own relationship with money. And um, so a lot of times people are like, oh, I'm I'm not getting control of my finances, girl. I downloaded some budgets and some spreadsheets. Blah, blah, blah. And the first thing I said, well, did you did you already look at what you've done for the last year? And mm-hmm. they'd be like, no. Well, why, how are you go have some pre-described budget up in the air when you don't even know where your strength and your weaknesses are? So that's why I say, look at what you do already. Take a step, go through, and a lot of, not a lot, I would say 90% of banking institutions already have a built-in platform in if you use online banking, where they've pretty much kind of done it for you. They'll already, mm-hmm. have, I mean, because they're nosy at the end of the day, right? That's how they know <laughs> what they want to sell you and what your weaknesses yeah. are. So they, they, they're they tracking your spending patterns. They're just kind of hipping you to the game sometimes. So sometimes you go in and you click around, you'd be surprised. They've already kind of flat categorized some of that stuff for you. And they have graphs and all kinds of stuff that you can, and a lot of times they'll even have interfaces where you can put, you know, because a lot of people do different banking institutions or they have money in different places and expenses. You can have all that stuff pile up into one place and figure out, okay, how much am I spending on household expenses? How much am I spending on eating out? How much am I spending on trips? How much am I spending? Because once you figure that out and you can kind of, you know, decide how your money moves, then you can make a decision on a money move. <laughs> that's like that. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. that's, that's, it's just literally like that. You can't, because uh, the other part of it is, just like when people talk about people being emotional eaters, people are emotional spenders. You know what I'm yeah. saying? And yeah. you don't, and that's, so you, a lot of times I've gone back and I looked at stuff and I can see if I done had my uh, whole bunch of dot coms in my spending, for a period of time, it was like, oh, I just went on a little shopping spree, didn't I? Especially now where you can, you don't even have to leave your house to spend money. You can spend oh, yeah. thousands of dollars sitting at your computer, you know, yep. and um, and it's so, and it's a lot of times it's about your mentality. Like, so you may not think 
even though you come home every day and it's Amazon boxes on your stoop, that you have a shopping <laughs> problem. <laughs> right? Yeah. Because a lot of people are buying things they actually need from Amazon. So they don't think about they threw the extra pair of socks or, you know, some makeup or so it, it really is just assessing how are you spending money, your money that you already have. Because at that point, you can make a decision. Then you can make a budget, right? You could say, you can, then you can start downloading spreadsheets and looking at things and say, okay, they're saying you shouldn't spend more than $300 a month. Oh, well, I already own food. I already only spent $250. You know, so think about those. And that don't mean, oh, let me go out and spend an extra $50. But what it does is tell you how your life works and how, where you can cut down on things, you know, and then you can set goals. Like if you know you want to be able to buy a car soon or you want to pay off some student loan debt, like then you set goals with what What do you want your money to do for you? Do you want to get out of debt? Do you want, look, or in my case, I just recently bought a house. I needed to set my money so I can get into more debt. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So how much more debt can I afford? Um, so that, to, honestly, that's the very, that's the most important step. So in terms of like for jumping into the investing world you and i we've had plenty of conversations about investing the stock market and things like that and i know for at least on my end like i was like a little kid in the candy store when that whole world kind of got illuminated for me and i know i talked your ear off personally like oh and then i learned this and then i learned that and then i learned this because i was just way too excited um but it's exciting yeah like are there some either female friendly or first time friendly investments that people can start to look towards or what questions should they ask their financial advisors being wanting to step into that world? What are some things well, that they can ask? Well, here's what I'll, I'll start with. Number one, because I'm, I'm definitely not a financial advisor in that sense of the word. Um, I'll say what worked for me. Right. Um, because like you even look, having two degrees in accounting, I still was intimidated by the stock market um, mm -hmm. because going back to what people come on my head, I'm thinking, oh, I don't have a finance degree. So I have an accounting degree. I don't, no, no, no. That's not for me. Um, but what I started doing very slowly you know, years ago, not in my early 20s is I just started buying stocks where w that had stuff to do with, you know, people, if I knew they worked at a company or if I knew it was something I use. And you'll see a lot of places they say don't do that. But I said it worked well for me because it helped me get me comfortable with how the process works. Right. Mm -hmm, Which, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so it wasn't that I was dumping. Like, I definitely wasn't pulling out five thousand dollars. And, you know, going to E-Trade and be like, let's go. It wasn't like that. I was take, I was thinking, after, look, after budgeting and realized I had some disposable income that I was making a little too disposable, right? And I was spending <laughs> it on stuff. And I wasn't, you know, because you, the, the key is you want to try to generate, if you got free money, one thing you should probably try to do with some of that free money is make more money if you can. Mm -hmm. And there's many ways to do that. And the stock market is a, is a good one, especially if you have patience. And I think a lot of times people think about the stock market and they think about like Wolf of Wall Street or they think back to, you know, the movie with um, Dan Aykroyd um, and Eddie Murphy trading places. They're imagining like that floor, like, oh, I can't do that. Like, no, that's too crazy. And it, that's just not the relationship that people have with investing. Like, uh, that's not how you should envision yourself as I need to be on a trading floor throwing paper in order to get involved in the stock market. Because you can literally, they have so many things that are very 
user friendly, set it and forget it. And that's kind of how I started. I just kind of took a look at some of the prices and stuff, thought about what I could afford and in the type of money that I felt like I was a I want to quote unquote play around with in the terms of putting myself out there. And that that's literally what I did. So I had a friend who worked at Coke. Well, okay, I'll, you know, put a little bit of money on Coke. Um, and some and of course you have stocks now that back when I started didn't have, you know, you had the Amazons and the Apples of the world where one stock costs over a thousand dollars. You know, so um don't yeah, while it's great to have those that's not a way to get comfortable right so I think that for me like you said you just you're like let me just jump right in if you even if you have that personality where I want to go like balls deep in the beginning you 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 can pace yourself to get comfortable and then think about what you do because to me I'm I'm going to be way more comfortable with products I'm with products and things I'm familiar with so I'll give you a perfect example. I had a friend who worked for AIG at the time. And so I bought AIG stock. And it was super cheap back then. And then, you know, the stock market crashed. Whoa, my goodness. And then layoffs start happening. <laughs> and at that point, it was just like, what in the world? And, I, you know, I went, and it was one of those things where I decided I was going to be the kind of investor where I wasn't obsessed with what it was doing, right? Because I thought of it more as a savings vehicle, like, let me just put this money in here, see what it's doing, because it's sitting here. These They aren't going to crash. Even the stock market crash, these companies aren't going from $100 a share to $0. Like, that's just not something that's happening, right? Right. Um, but one of the things I learned when that happened was I made so much money off of that at the end of the day because it crashed, so to speak, but it bounced back. If you got time to sit and wait, you go have fun. So yes. a stock that had bottom rocked and all this other stuff, it I mean, when it came back, it came back because certain companies, the government is just not gonna let fall. You know, right. it's just not gonna happen, right? So it was just one of those things where I, I, I did have people that I talked to about stocks at the time, but it was just seeing that myself and knowing that that was something I bought because I knew somebody who worked it. I had an attachment to it, so to speak. It mm-hmm. felt I was more invested in learning about it because then I felt more comfortable branching out because if you just say, okay, I got a thousand dollars, I'm going to go find me a financial planner and say, spend this money. And you, and if you want to be that type of person who don't care what they're doing with it, then you that then you need to recognize that you're that kind of person but yeah. if you want people to learn about it because a lot of these people who are paid they're not teaching you they just want nope. your money to do it for you yep so um that's where it comes that's why i say the first thing you could do if it's something you actively want to do is just do little stuff and go and go in one of these uh, e-trader or a capital one where they are uh, scott trade all these companies where they fidelity where they allow you to broker yourself and they just kind of charge you five dollar commission or whatever and just buy you know one or two stocks if you have an extra hundred dollars buy some net well Netflix I think is one thirty four right now but buy some Netflix or you know and I did that at the time too when I, I was like well I use Netflix you know unfortunately I didn't hold on to it if I wish <laughs> I did now you know yeah yeah but, those things where I didn't see the innovation that that they were going to have. So all that to say, I, to me, that's that's my my thing. Just do it yourself, and 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 just kind of take steps into thinking about 
what what your expectation level is in terms of if you do decide you want to go because I do think everybody should have a financial planner on their team right just like you got you know most people you know you have a pastor that you rely on a best friend a doctor you know a, a psychiatrist or what a lawyer like it's just certain people everybody needs to have on their team and a financial planner is definitely something people should have on their team even in the once they've done some things themselves to understand again how money how they want their money to move and how they already move with their money so even if you get into this investing you know you want to do it on a larger scale once you started small and you kind of got into you know e-trade or scott trade or capital uh 360 investment account the kind of capital one investment account i'm sorry to kind of see how those things work what commissions mean and you know how to start even if a lot, a lot of times you don't have to start you can just i think when i first started i just put a bunch of stocks in the watch list right mm -hmm. and they even had it where you could say if i bought today at the time and you could kind of see how much money you would have made or lost so I kind of watched it for a little while. I just wanted to see what would happen if I, and then I put the money. You can you can take so many baby steps that it's hard to be uncomfortable with what you're what you're doing. If that makes sense, because again, they have tons of videos. They have you know caveman style can do it walkthroughs of how you go about doing this, and that to me is a stepping stone to move you towards if that's what you, if you decide okay i'm really comfortable with this i want to do it on a bigger scale but i don't have the time or you know the resources to plan correctly let me get a financial planner on on board who does stock market stuff like i think that's kind of how it works but i definitely think the first thing to do is to do it yourself just to know what your expectations are mm -hmm. and i and i know that there's a lot of of course being a beginner myself at least I still consider myself a beginner. I, I started off small. So like investing like $60 or investing $100. So it doesn't have to be this grand thing that most people think. Um, and then just seeing how that can flip and how those certain things can kind of help uh, with understanding how your money can grow. But in terms of for financing, do you think faith and finance coincide? It can be a very touchy subject for some people, but in terms of like understanding not having faith in the financial market but a faith in where the purpose for your money is basically what i'm asking do you feel like faith and finances coincide and what would should everyone find out what the purpose of their money is i absolutely because believe that because if you or are going to acknowledge that some higher power is the source of positioning you to where you earn money. How could you ignore any principles laid out about how you should spend it, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It, it, it's it's the two sides of the coin, you know. You you can't have one without you can't have one without the other. You can't say, you know, oh Lord, thank you for all my help. God is good all the time. This brick I pay, but you know. And then when it comes to being a steward of your money, there are very specific principles. If you're, if you're a Christian laid out in the Bible about finances, you know, and directives. And so I think that's, you can't, they do coincide um, no matter what your faith is. Because again, I think every religion or spiritual base, it, it talks about material things, right? And some, mm -hmm. well, guess what? material things is money and yeah and, and, and currency because back it used to be sheets and cows 
and manna and land, and now it's greenhouse <laughs> fields and manna and land and sheep and cows. But at the end of the day, you know, nothing is new under the sun. So it's just about being able to interpret how those things apply to your life now. And, you know, everybody has a, a testimony of sort of where they thought a situation was going to be dire in a financial in a financial way, and it didn't. And if you want to attribute that to God's grace and mercy or to yourself, you know, that I can that can kind of guide you on that your answer to that. Do you think faith and finances coincide? Because yeah. when something works out that you didn't think was gonna work out, who are you giving credit to? Very true. Very true. Um so in terms of I know that you have done the work yourself at one point in time in terms of combing through your own finances and kind of taking a step, step and looking at Do know, what it's going to take to reach the goals that you personally had. But in terms of even being kind of like that financial friend that people <laughs> rely on, even when it comes to their insurance with other people that have been in, in your life in terms of like, or, or uh, observing from the financial standpoint, what are some harsh realities that most women never take into consideration when beginning their journey with their personal financial goals? I would say the biggest thing is emotional drivers because emotional drivers got what you want, how you plan to get it and what you are willing to do to keep it right. Mm -hmm. and different phases of your life make it easier to answer those questions. And I think the biggest challenge that people face with those three questions is that it's not a one and done situation. You, as you constantly evolve and stretch, those answers are going to change and you need to be okay with that. Right. Because you, you may let in your twenties, what you wanted your money for and how you plan to get it and what you want to do, keep it all complete. It's completely different in your thirties because mm -hmm. maybe you attained it or maybe you didn't attain it and you had to revamp like, you know, and, and I find a lot of people, I, you know, when they talk about midlife crisis or, I'm approaching my forties and I find so many people are trying are starting to think about what do I want to do now? They want to do something different. And I think it's because, you know, you get to a point sometimes financially where the money isn't enough, right? You've get you had that goal, you make enough to sustain a lifestyle for yourself. And it's like, oh yeah, uh, this job ain't worth it. I'm I, I'm out. Like and you decide I can make a little less money. So I think that's the thing. It's about the, the emotional drivers that that make you decide to set a personal financial goal or if you even want to have goals if you look if you need somebody to help you accomplish those like that's kind of <laughs> what it is you know and um I had someone to ask me one time like what's my biggest driver in life and for me it's security like I just everything about me is just feeling financially secure emotionally secure spiritually secure like that's kind of what drives me in everything I do because I'm always driving myself towards that goal of feeling secure in what I am and who I am in any given situation. Right. And I and I know for, for me, I'm one of those people where I worked really, really hard, really diligently and was really, really, you know, working towards what I thought was going to be like the the big aha, like, oh, I finally made it. And then when I made it, and I'm like, yeah, I'm making six figures now. Like, this is great. This is awesome. And I was like, but that's not it. <laughs> it was so anticlimactic. I was just like, like, okay. 
I'm here now. Like what? And I love, I love it. I love then. And I still love now what I did, but the, the money part of it or what I thought was going to be the security quote unquote, um, it wasn't something I was willing to maintain for the rest of my life. And so that's where at the age of 33, I started to discover or wanted to get more, learn more about the financial world so that I can have that flexibility and in me having that flexibility, that makes me feel more secure. So I am one of those people that you were talking about. (laughs) They they got to a certain point. So trust me, I understand you are preaching to the congregation, girl. Um, Yeah, I think a lot of, I mean, even we think about people have kids, you know, then, uh, you know, I was talking to somebody and he was just talking about things he needed for his kids and these financial goals he had. And I couldn't identify what nothing he was talking about. But, (laughs) you know, I'm not trying to make sure somebody go to college, you know, without taking out loans. I'm not, you know what I'm saying? But I'm pretty sure if it came to a situation, and even with me, I have a house now, so I do got to make different type of money decisions now that I have a house. And so that's the kind of thing, like, and some people feel like I had a plan, I had a plan, I had a plan. Right, exactly. <laughs> no, you had a plan. Come up with another one. It's, it's totally okay. And, and see, that's what I really wanted to kind of have this conversation really and enlighten and illuminate is the fact that your financial journey is just that it's a journey. You know, sometimes you will make it and you will reach that goal and life will happen. And no one is excluded from life happening. And so I feel like there is a level of shame and kind of like this thing of like, Oh, I failed when financially you're, you're disrupted or financially you're caught off guard And so I feel like understanding and learning about finances, you're a little bit more forgiving of yourself for it because you hear the stories and you get to talk to all these people, at least for me, networking and talking to all these other big financial people. It makes a difference in how you carry your expectation of who you should be by this age. You know, it kind of eliminates that whole thing because life is going to happen and it's okay. You had a plan. And like me, I got there. It was anticlimactic, and I needed a new plan. (laughs) So that's going to happen. And I think that goes back to your other question about what faith and finances coincide, because you you have to have it faith in your ability to be able to change, and also your ability to to trust God to lead you in a direction that you that that is going to help you be your best version of yourself. Right. So. That's why I firmly believe because it, it it's a guide, not even just so much a guide in the principles laid out in any type of religious doctrine about how you should do your money, but also just that that financial spirit, like being aligned with you being able to hear that voice to direct you somewhere or being okay with something changing or being okay with having to throw everything out and start all over again from the bottom. You hear rags or riches story. You hear people who quote unquote don't make it till their late thirties or their late forties, you know, and especially in a situation where in now you with social media, um, so many things are out there in terms of people representing themselves and what they have what they do with their money, where they go, what kind of bag, what kind of car, you know, all those kind of things, which is tied to money, right? So people right. end up overextending themselves and they're not, you know, they're not thinking about 
how can I generate more income? People are, are, are living to be consumers and not wealth generators. And they confuse being rich with people. Right. Oh. Yes. 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 Oh, gosh. I'm, that just made me so excited. Thank you for sharing that. Um, no, because I'm, I'm like, I love these types of conversations where people are sharing and talking about kind of unmasking the myths of finances and unmasking the shame and, and burden really that people carry when discussing or thinking about finances. So I, I like the fact that you illuminated that when it comes to it, like instead of becoming a consumer, cause you could be as, as one of my mentors says, you could, you could be a millionaire, but you owe 2 million. So you just a broke you're just broke on a higher level exactly you know and this is and going and kind of touching back on the social media thing i remember recently um and this is super pop culture but i think cardi b and offset um posted pictures of them like in with these lamborghinis and people were making jokes right about oh or their least or whatever so she felt the need to defend herself it posted a screenshot, it deleted, of course, later, of her Wells Fargo's transaction where they paid money straight for these cars. And so a couple of people came out and said, well, it's nothing wrong with leasing a car. With them leasing a car, it goes back to people not always understanding how money works, right? Because sometimes for some people's situation, leasing a car is a very good idea. You know, it, 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 it doesn't, it is not indicative of your wealth or your money because you lease a car. You know, people lease apartments, that don't mean they're poor. And a lot of people do the same thing with that. They're like, oh, you got a Range Rover and you live in an apartment, mm -hmm. but you don't know that financial situation it doesn't mean it's bad it means that hey they may have a job where they move all the time or right. you know so and or they may have a situation where you know they might have other houses in other places and so they don't really feel like they need a house where they're living right now because they got rental property so it go you know it's just about you know you never know you just never know right. and about somebody's situation and making and if you understand money you'd be surprised that leasing sometimes right it is a very good idea for some people to lease a car so it doesn't mean you're you're poor but it goes back to putting on that front about what i have and what i don't have and what i could do with my money so in terms of like for because you you because you do you de you definitely sound very passionate about what you do and kind of like you take charge when you have the conversation about finances and starting off and encouraging people to kind of take the baby steps of what they need to do in order to get certain things done. But do you feel like you're living or traveling in alignment with what your purpose is? Um, I'm going to yes and no. Right. In the terms of, I believe money is my purpose in terms of, of dealing with money and numbers and that is my purpose is may, maybe using it on a corporate level right now is I do feel like there's more for me that I could be doing. I do feel like I could it be more of a, a resource to people to help them understand money, become more comfortable with money. Um, I did do it on a nonprofit level for a long time and people always complimented me on the fact that I made it sound so easy or understandable and relatable and that they could do it. And I, I know that as a talent that I have, um, mm -hmm. my ability to deliver well. And I, I heard my boss on the phone actually the other day talking to somebody else. And he was just saying about a difficult audit client that 
Dave sent a couple of people to, and he said, well, I'm, I'm going to send Ronetta because I'm telling you, if anybody could charm the pants off of him, it's going to be her. <laughs> and let me tell you, when I think about myself, a synonym that does not come up is charming. So I was so like, I kind of, he can't, we can't see each other the way we sit, but I was like, the look on my face was like, isn't another one that don't work? You know what I'm talking about? You know, so um, I do, but all that to say, I do understand that I have a talent to, of talking to people about money. Um, and I, I definitely could be, fulfilling that purpose and I, I i do at some point want to do that so i and so yes i'm saying yes my purpose is definitely in this field in this industry um empowering people social socioeconomically um with knowledge um and with you know connecting people with like minds or even shoot even people with different minds who need to be connected because they don't know they have like minds you know what i'm saying like i yeah. think I'm, I'm really good at that and i i know that is something that i would I would excel at and actually feel a tangible um, gratification in terms of seeing something come to fruition. But I haven't necessarily pursued it yet like I need to. <laughs> well, I feel like it's a journey. It's a journey. So in terms of, you know, as long as you feel like you're traveling in that, I feel like that's always a plus. Um, getting to the next level, because I, I feel like there is no end. It's just you get to the you're at the bottom of the next level to, to get to a higher state or a higher being or a higher purpose. Amen. Uh, but I definitely feel like it's just a part of the journey and it'll continue to, to kind of grow and manifest in different ways. But I really appreciate you and your patience for this evening, um, taking the time to kind of talk to us and really being open and honest about the financial world and how that all works. And I just really, really appreciate you for just everything in terms of your your banter, your friendship, your your uh, our, our kind of like sarcastic, comedic way about us when we talk. I really appreciate that. Uh, and contributing to this project really means a lot to me. It's definitely a labor of love. Um, and I appreciate you for contributing to this big hug that I'm giving to women and kind of setting us free financially and kind of thinking about it in different ways. So I really appreciate you being a part of this. Oh my gosh. Thank you. I appreciate the fact you thought I had something to contribute. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I have to tell you that because you know, when you first asked me, I was like, no, you have like real people doing real things. Like, why would you? You you are. So uh, I definitely appreciate you having any confidence in me. And (laughs) one person feels empowered to, pick up a book or log into their Bank of America and look at their, you know, their their money a different way, then I definitely feel good that I I, I helped advance your initiative. Um and you know, you are definitely my unattached Siamese twin. Yes. Okay. Yes. Thank you so much. I love you so much. Okay, Alchemy Chic family, you guys know how this works. If you hear Bonetta's story and you can think of a woman that may need to hear about finances from a different perspective, please text this episode to five different people um, just to make sure that this this labor of love that we have is getting out and actually helping someone on an intimate level. Um, thank you again, Alchemy Chic family, for taking the time to listen. We are ordinary women doing extraordinary things. And until next time, I will love on you guys later. All right. Bye-bye, ladies.